Sound, we're sounding good? Oh, you sound great. Derek Drescher, how yes. are you, sir? What's up, man? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? Dude, I'm great. So for those of you who don't know, Derek Drescher, host of 23 in 1 comedy show at The Stand, partner in Con Body, a workout studio on the Lower East Side. Dude, and I still need to come through, man. Yeah, dude, whenever you want. I would love to. I teach uh, Tuesday nights, 5.30 and 6.30, Friday morning at 8, and then Saturday at 10.30 and 11.30. Okay, so... Most comics come to the 11.30 show. Nice, uh, man. Class. Class. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of workout is that? I mean, obviously, it's just a you know, uh, prison-inspired workout. Yeah, how does so that work? Cost, you know, designed the workout to... So he was in solitary for a little bit while he was incarcerated. This and is one of your partners. This is the owner, like the guy, the founder, the, the guy, guy who was started. on Ellen. The guy was on Ellen. Yeah. Okay. Um, he uh, was in in solitary or you know, the box, as they call it. Yeah, the box. And uh, you know you can't use weights when you're in the in the box. You can only so you know he started working out really hard. He came out of the box. He kept going, and he lost like sixty pounds. Wow. Yeah, or seventy, and then he. Bunch of the because he was very overweight and out of shape, and a lot of the other guys saw him and they like gravitated to to him, and he helped like twenty guys lose a thousand pounds combined. Oh my! So how long was he in the box? In, like in general, when he I first don't know went how there? long he was in the box. I know he did about seven seven years, okay. not in all total, in the box, in, in prison. Yeah, not in the all in the box. Okay, yeah, crazy. So I, I mean, you always kind of. I don't want to say you always hear or see that, but like, you know, people, when they say, oh, I just, if I went to jail for three months, I'd come out jacked. Yeah, it's not or, true. Yeah, or if I'm there for X amount of years, I'm going to be working out the entire time. And like, obviously that's your mindset going in, but I can imagine just I was how so dark and depressed it gets. Oh, so yeah. if you can just talk a little bit about, you know, how you initially, I mean, got to prison or got to jail and then what it was like being in there. In my younger, yeah, so I, um. I was uh yeah start from the beginning yeah. bro. I'll tell you the I whole was an out of control kid, you know. I uh, always knew when I was younger that I had a problem expressing myself like everybody else. I thought about things that probably most kids don't think about when they're young. Like I was 8 9 years old. I was like, how am I going to drive? I was like, I don't like <laughs> going over bridges is scary. Yeah, oh, I, dude, and the water on both sides yeah, for sure. How am I gonna have a place to live? So wait, know? where did you grow up? Uh, we we'll start there, Brooklyn, and then uh, my uh, childhood. You know, I was uh, what's the word? Very uh, transient because I was around. I was uh, in juvenile detention, group homes, things like that. So yeah. So, oh, okay, so you were as a, at a younger age, you were thinking in like the mindset of a what a seventeen year old. It sounds I guess, like. I guess, and you know, and I was very close to my grandma. My mom and dad both worked very hard; they had multiple jobs, um, and uh, so I would get left with my grandmother during my childhood. While they, my my mom worked in factories, she worked as a waitress. My father did concrete work, and then he would do anything else he could. Uh, they were just saving for the future. You know what I mean? And um, my grandmother passed away, and I went batshit crazy. What 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 age was that around? I was around 12, okay. 12, 13. And were you, like, hanging out with the older kids on the block doing I hung out with things? a lot of older people, yeah. Okay. I hung out with a lot of older people. That, I think, for the most part, I mean, obviously, like, the I, I think one of the, the things that when I look back in my younger age, it was, like, a lot of smoking pot. So I think that's what, like, the older generation kind of pushed on me. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what happens when you're hanging out with older kids, right? Yeah, I started Back drinking. I was drinking a lot. And then I just started acting out, like, stopped going to school and started stealing. And Damn. So when did you first go to juvenile detention? 13. 13. And how was that experience? For how long? Rough. 
I was saw from 13 to 18. I spent three of those years in juvie. Dude, this is so funny, man, because you seem like just such a nice, calm, cool guy, which obviously you are. But like what? You have a dark side, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've worked on myself a lot. I'll get into that with you yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in juvenile and then and then drugs got involved. Uh, and uh, I even went like after I left juvie, I was able I went I was able to join the military and I got kicked out after 11 months and and charged. What, did you get too. in, like, a fight with someone? Yeah, I got in a lot of fights, but I was also uh, stealing metal. For what? To turn into chop shops. For So they would use Off it as, a, like, parts? I mean, yeah, if you get, like, precious metals, whether it's copper, aluminum, stuff like that, stuff's okay. worth, mo- worth money. That, the only time I really learned about that was on The Wire. Yeah. Did you ever see that yeah, show, yeah. The Wire? When, when the, they're ripping the brass, uh, the what copper was, What pipes? was his name again? That oh, home, Bubbles. Bubba, yeah, yeah, Bubbles was, like, stealing wire and yeah. copper and stuff like that. So that's what you were doing in uh, selling it to restaurants? No, I sell it to, you go to right to, like, a like a metal shop. Like, uh, you could you could bring them in. You could bring them full cars. And do they melt it down? Or? I don't know what they do. You give them the money. You give them the stuff, and they give so you the you, money. So they buy it from you at an extremely low cost, and then they'd go out and sell it to whoever, yes, developers and exactly. people making buildings and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, so they would probably, you know, they separate. You know, they probably have aluminum in this bin. And these are, like, two-ton, three-ton bins, aluminum, copper here, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could bring those guys in. You can bring them a refrigerator. So where did this mindset come from? Especially after being in the military for like 11, 11 months. And you were what at this yeah, time, like 19 thing, years old? Yeah, I was 19. Exactly. Oh, I was God. military really didn't. It's not that much different than regular society, the military. Really? No. You're supposed to be like the cream of the crop. That's what I, yeah, that's, yeah, that's how I think of it. It's untrue. Uh, there's <laughs> units in, in, in the military. <laughs> <laughs> that are the cream of the crop. Okay, but I wasn't Marines in Marines or whatever. Units. Were you a reserve? Or no, something? I was full time. I was full time. I uh, so like the Marines are definitely. Pro- I've, I've known some crazy Marines though too. I shouldn't say crazy, just you know, a little off. Yeah. But like in the army, you have like you know your Rangers, your Special Forces, your Green Berets. Like those are the, the real, you know. And you're like eighty first, you know. Air, 82nd Airborne, excuse me, I can't believe I said that. 101st Screaming Eagles. That's like the real <laughs> shit. So, 19, I yeah. kicked out of the military. Yeah. Come back. To Brooklyn. Come back to, I went upstate. I went upstate. Where upstate? Uh, Orange County, Bloom Grove area. You know Ooh, okay, area? no, I don't. I don't. You know the Woodbury Commons? Yeah. Yeah, around there. That's not so upstate, is it? Yeah, not too far. Okay. I mean, it's hour upstate and a half of the out? city. Okay. Yeah, about an hour. All right. Um, And what was there? What, you just went back there, your family there? I knew people, yeah. Yep, I had some family there, and uh, I just was getting in trouble regularly, like, and uh, getting locked up. And was it just for petty stuff? Yeah, yeah, all petty, all petty. I'd get in trouble. I'd do like it, you know. I'd get sentenced to a year, and then get out, and I wouldn't be able to complete, you know, my probation parole. How long was probation? Pr- probation like well, after three years, five years after doing a year sentence? It yeah. was that long. Yeah, I've but that's got to be tough. Don't they drug test you and stuff? Well, I don't. I don't know if yeah. it's like smoking weed or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I, w- I was never a big weed guy. Never, I was cocaine. And but you had to stop doing drugs pills. fully for five years. I didn't. But that's what they wanted you that's to do. Want. Yeah, they don't even want you drinking. Do they? Can they test for you drinking? They. Yeah, alcohol can come up. I guess in a in a urine test. I'm not sure yeah. about a swab. But did they so test they you for alcohol? Just, it's, yeah, they test you for everything. Like at first, I used to have to pee, and then they started doing the swab, which you just let this thing. You're supposed to put it under your tongue, 
and wait till it turns blue, like the outside of it would turn blue, but I never put it under my tongue. I used to piss my pee off so much. She gets so mad. I'd be like, it's there. It's under my tongue. I'd be sitting there for like 45 minutes. Did you have the same probation officer like throughout the times that no. you, oh, it was like a different person? You they moved up? me around a lot. But that's just a system that it sounds like to me that it's just like they want you to fail. Yeah. Or it's designed for, to make you fail. Absolutely. One year in jail. First of all, you come out. The first thing you want to do is take a hit of a joint or have a beer. But I under, you know, I understand maybe the first week you don't do it. Yeah. But then they have you on probation for an extremely long period of time. And the only time I really learned about probation and parole officers, like when it's been forced in front of me, is like uh, paying attention to a guy like Meek Mill. Right. You know, when he was on probation for 11 years, stuff right, like right, that, right. and he just kept getting put back in the prison, back in the prison. So, um, I mean, it just sounds like, yeah, it's, it's really hard to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, there was times, I ended up doing like six years altogether, and then gosh, what, basically what ends up happening, I remember one time I got out, and I, I reported, report that day, and she's like, uh, where are you living? And I sent, like, wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I was like, here. And she just ripped it up. And she goes, no, you're living here. And she made me go to a shelter. Let me tell you something. Some of these shelters, you might as well be in Rikers, man. You might as well be in Rikers. They're bad. Some of the shelters, really bad. Like stealing and crime. Stealing, and fighting, drugs, you know, yeah, assaults, everything. Everything you can think of. So from that point... Mm-hmm. How did you how did you live your twenties? What did the your twenties look like? Twenties, I met a woman when I was twenty five. I strained out for a little bit, but we all know is that like a relationship won't keep you straight. You got to want to do it for yourself. Right. End up having a child, uh, and then um, I just made a complete mess of my life. By the time I turned thirty years old, that's when I started doing heroin. I started shooting heroin at thirty, and. Um, I didn't get clean till I was thirty three, so it's, that's all just a mess. It's, I mean, first starting. Sorry to, to ruin the mood, bro. <laughs> no, no, dude, this is very interesting, man. A lot of people want to hear this, and obviously, you know, anybody who has you know issues like that, you know, they obviously love to hear when other people have you know similar issues. So, starting to uh, do heroin, and you know, I guess you're as you were saying, not have your life straightened out. What I mean, what was like the, what got you into comedy, and what got you into Having your head on straight, man. Because, I, I mean, I see you at the stand not every night, but a lot of nights shooting the shit with everyone, and you have your own show at the stand, so things are straightened out. So how right. did you get here? I, um, I got into I – so, I was in so many programs. Like when I I, I, tried, I – I was trying to get clean at 33, right? And then I, like I, got, I got like six months, and I relapsed again, and it was a horrible relapse. What does that mean you got six months? I got Sober? six months clean. Like you're yeah, yeah. Okay. Sober. I relapsed again. It was a horrible relapse, and I still had, like, some legal uh, cases open, and um, I was still on papers. I still had to see a PO, and then I, you know, uh, this one counselor I had at this place called CFR Center for Recovery, she was like, she was like, Derek, I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to die. Like, if you get locked up, it's, you're lucky. She's like, the, the way you're going, the rate you're going right now, you're not going to make it soon. Uh, it's too, too much longer, you know, and, uh, she got me into this program uh, on uh, 43rd and 8th. It was for anybody who served in the military that had an issue with substance abuse or was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
when you keep doing chronically incarcerated, chronically homeless, and I, I was on the streets for a little bit too. She gets me into that place, and it, this place is called a TC, which means it's a therapeutic community. And uh, you would think from therapeutic, you think it's like very loving, and but it's like the other way around in the beginning. Like they tell you about yourself, and it's like it's your last chance, last stop. Like if you don't like it, go ahead, leave, go, you know, and the cops will be here to pick you up to take you. Take you back to jail. So, I mean, what did that kind of look like in your head waking up every day? If you put your hand a little bit up on the mic, so it's cutting out a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, it is my bad. Um, I remember getting there and be like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. And they were like, shut up. When I was using like that, I would always try to leave myself some for the next morning. And that didn't usually work out. Maybe I'd get like a bag. But I remember that first yawn you get of like when you're starting to go into withdrawal. Because you need to get high every day. Sometimes and, and withdrawal is just like right away when you wake up. Yeah, like, or like yeah, you to... wait, you wait, and it would always, it would hit me usually in the morning, bad around eight nine o'clock, and I would yawn and my eyes would start to tear, and I'd be like, oh shit, here it comes. And then you just need to do whatever you need to do to because the sickness only gets worse. Like then you start getting the stomach cramps and you're sweating and you know you get diarrhea and you're dry heaving and you know you're not gonna die but you feel like you want to. So yeah, and then you just gotta. Do whatever you got to do to to not even get high sometimes just to get straight. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you don't have enough to get high. You could just be not sick. There's, there's a physical addiction that comes with it. And then once you get clean and you get past the sickness part, because you're not, you can't get past the sickness part unless you do methadone or suboxone. I, do they it, give that to you at the shelter, by the way? Methadone. If you have a prescription... But I, I could not, I still could not stay clean on methadone or Suboxone. I had too many character defects where, Fuck. like, I would sell my Suboxone and just take it on the day that I needed to give a urine. Um, and uh, methadone was the same thing. I just failed horribly on both of them. And, uh, and so the last time I got clean, they are like, you're not, you're not giving you either one of them. You're going to have to, you know. So I remember I went to detox, and they gave me methadone, small dosage, for three days. And then I had to to kick the rest on my on my own. So you get through the physical withdrawal, and then you have the mental afterwards. So I didn't sleep for months. Like my first six, seven months clean, I didn't get a, a decent night of sleep at all. It was, I felt horrible, you know? And then, you know, I was in that program. They make you group. They make you group multiple times a day, five, six times a day. You're in groups. You're in groups about, you know, your character defects, you know, uh, you know, stuff, you know, trauma. Um, there was a uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there was confrontation group where if you had an issue with one of your peers, they would call you to the center of the room and, you know, and tell you about yourself. And you had this, like, they used to call it holding your belly. You had to not speak during that you could not react um, I did that for 18 months for 18 months and it definitely made me I came out of that so strong so was there was there a moment when you just felt so weak and so vulnerable and just felt like you were not gonna make it was there like one day in particular that stood out to you I didn't you know I knew at that point because I had overdosed like I think about I had a bad overdose like six months before I made it um into that program, and then I got that clean time, then I relapsed. Uh, 
it was around December. It was like the week of like Christmas. And uh, I overdosed. They had to bring me back to life. If it wasn't for my brother being there, I would have died. My dad was dead when they when they when I got to the ER though. They had to give me two shots of Narcan. I remember the nurse coming in, being like, uh, "You're the only person that we were able to save this week. Everybody else had overdosed." Was, was it like the same batch or something? Yeah, there was fentanyl going around even back then, even back then. Um, and I knew that day. I was like, there was almost like uh, something. Like a stoicism, is that even a word? That I was like, I am either going to change or I'm going to die with a needle in my arm. How old were you at that point? Uh, 33. I was 33. And, uh, and um, like I said, I made it into uh, the program. And I remember a few months went by. I was walking down 8th Avenue one day, and I just took a look around. And I was like... Just looking at what everybody was wearing and like, you know, what was on the um, the billboards and like MSG, right? MS, yeah, all that shit. And I was just like, I was like, the world has just passed me by. You know, I just I've let the world pass me by. I don't know about this place. You know, I don't. You know what I mean? I I was wearing like an outfit from like the nineties, the early two thousands, like a Sean John velour suit on. <laughs> and I was just like, yo, man, you gotta got to figure something out you know it's like, I was like it's one thing being clean you got to you got to get with this world because it's not going to wait for you yeah man that's fun that's funny you say that so um i don't know if you know but i uh worked at my dad's company for six and a half years before i started doing comedy vlog podcast stuff full time yeah and um i felt that way there was like definitely i mean multiple days where i woke up and i was just like yo what is going by? I'd just be looking at a blank computer screen waiting for somebody to tell me to do something just for like hours, you know, at a time at, at the day job. And uh, the company is like a real estate company. So I was a property manager. And the thing was, my mindset was always like, all right, well, there's going to come to a point where my dad's going to be like, all right, here is the company, son. You know, like the Lion King, like this is all yours. Yeah. You know, take it. And the idea of that, you know, is great, especially, you know, having a real estate company in New York. Obviously, that's a great thing to have. But it just got to a point where it was so repetitive and I knew that my trajectory, like I was going to be doing the same kind of thing being, you know, for the most part leveled for 10 years or however many years until my dad just decided here it is, Yeah, you know? And, um, I I think at, like you were saying, just seeing the world kind of pass you by one day you wake up and you're like, so much shit has happened. Like I want to change my life in in this direction or start doing this. And that happened to me for a little bit when I, I had like a pretty big ketamine phase. I got so scared. And one day I woke up and like, I couldn't breathe out of my nose just because mm-hmm. it was so stuffy. I was like, all right, I need to fix this. I need to stop doing this. Cause there would just be times when like I'd be in a social situation and the thing about ketamine is like, you have so many freaking thoughts in your head that you think everything around you is just like hearing your thoughts. So you don't really focus on it's communicating so with people like around you. Music with no words. Yeah, has dude, words you, and you feel it. like <laughs> you're the, you feel like you're the chosen one yeah, too. You're like, yeah. nobody has any idea what's going on yeah. in this world. I do. Yeah. But I mean, you just, Sometimes it just, all it takes is a nice day there. You wake up or you see something on a, a screen and you're like, yo, whoa, the world has changed so much in X amount of years. Time to get up and do something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand. I mean, I know social media is such a small part of the world, but I was like, hmm, like people are staying connected through this, this thing. I didn't know how to send an email. I didn't, 
know like any of that shit like it, the world like back in the day for a construction job you go to the site and you meet the foreman you shake his hand and if he likes you he hires you you know yeah. and it was like all these first interview second interview and I remember I was trying to get jobs and no one would hire me <laughs> and uh and I was like taking these classes to learn how to speak better because my you know I sounded like a fucking barbarian and and they're like, you know, you're going to work sanitation. I was like, that's actually a pretty good job. You know, I wouldn't mind working sanitation. But um, I uh, ended up getting it. I got my, my peer mentor certification, and then I got my recovery coach certification. And I started to work in a shelter. I got a job in a shelter. I was working for uh, Black Vets for Social Justice out of Brooklyn mm-hmm. on Marcus Garvey Boulevard. They, like, gave me my first shot at a job, and I was making, like, you know, 14, 15 bucks an hour. I was working with, you know, people that had been through or either going through the same situ- situation I went or, you know, a lot of people that worked there were, were like me too, you know? So you didn't blow it though? No, no, I stayed clean. I got an apartment. Um, and then, you know, I, I ended up getting a job at the Marriott in Jersey. It was... um. Jersey City? No, in uh, Teaneck. Oh, okay. Teaneck. So I'd wake Big up. Jewish town, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm Jewish, too, by the way. You're Jewish, Jewish right? Yes, yeah. Shabbat Shalom, baby. Yeah. Jewish and Puerto Rican. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Teaneck is like... I think there's some Dominicans now there, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got, like, the Jewish section, black, Dominican. There's... Yeah, it's a pretty diverse town. Um, And then... But working in Jersey was rough, because I'd wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, East New York be on the platform by 4.30, take the train like an hour and 10 minutes up to George Washington bus terminal, get on a bus over to Teaneck. So it was like, I was really grinding and I really wanted it, you know what I mean? And then uh, I felt like it was like eventually time for me to put like my certifications to work and I I started working for a nonprofit uh, as like their alumni services coordinator, which means that like I uh, work... With folks who have, you know, maybe issues with substance abuse or being chronically homeless and uh, who have also been incarcerated, you know, and uh, I get to give back a little little something. So when you were in prison, um, the idea of 23 and 1, that's not always the case, right? Well, 23 and 1, when you first... you're in the hole? When you first... No. I mean, yeah, that's what it is in the hole um, or the box, the box box we call in New York. Uh I think they call it the hole in Oz. <laughs> That's probably why I saw it on TV shows. Like, oh, he's sending them to the hole. Taking it to the hole. You're going to the hole. You're going to the hole, Dresher. Yeah. Um, yeah, the box. Uh, but when you first get in and you're brought in, you know, when they're um, And also out, talk about that that feeling, too, first going sucks, in. For, oh, like, what was your longest bid, by the way? Longest bid was 18 months, 19. Okay, 19 so months, the, the first day of that 19-month bid, sucks, just kind of describe that. Yeah, it sucked. You're in Rikers or, or like, uh, Rikers or any jail. You want to get out of there. It sucks. Jail sucks because there's no movement. Uh, what do you mean there's no movement? Like, you just don't get to really do anything. Unless you're sentenced, then you, like, could become a trustee. But, like, you know, the further you get upset, the more, it sounds fucked up, it sounds funny, but there's, like, the more freedom you have. Like, people can send you stuff and all that shit. And you, sometimes you can have a certain amount of food, certain amount of pounds of food sent to you. Uh, every month. But yeah, the, the first days were always the worst. I was so prepared for it, though, from juvenile, from when I was a kid. Like kid. Those were the rough ones. 
gladiator school, man. You're fighting every day. Every day. So the concept of 23 and 1, though. Oh, concept of 23 yeah. and 1 is, uh, yeah, when you first get into the into the joint and they're waiting to see, you know, what kind of unit they're going to place you in, you, you're you on tw- a 23-hour lockdown, and then you get one hour to uh, use the phone and shower. Are you by yourself during that 23 and 1 when they're deciding where to put yeah. you? So how long is that process before they decide where they want to put Depends you? Depends on how fast they get the paperwork done. How long did it take you to, to be, get you like to your cell? All, all different times. This has happened to me so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it would take a day, two days. Sometimes it would take a week. Sometimes ten days. So how did they decide though, like where they were going to put you? Oh, they just go over your paperwork race. and they look at you know whatever your psychosocial was when you come in, all that stuff. So what was the most dramatic event you think in in prison? The most dramatic event for you, for I've you. seen. Let me see. Like some shank fights. Or yeah, something? I've seen people get stabbed. I've I've had to stab people before. You've had to. Yeah. Just because like disrespect. He stole something from me. What do you steal? A bag of chips. Oh damn! And that like that commissary. That's like serious stuff in there. Yeah. Wait, like Lay's like sour cream and onion it's or Cheetos. Oh yeah, I stabbed <laughs> him too. <laughs> <laughs> But he did it right in front of everybody, so I had to. Oh, you had to freaking show him no that. choice. Yeah. So you slug him first in the... Nah, I just stab him in the ass. And how Not much in like, his, like in his cheek. Did you get, you get sent to the box after that? No. For stabbing somebody? Nobody saw. Oh, and nobody around them spoke yeah. about it. No. So st- snitching is like a really... It's like the, still a really fucked up thing to do in jail? Yeah, I mean, you won't be able to live in... On in the in the unit in the tier if you're a snitch. So how do even bo- if people get get word that you might possibly be a snitch, they'll be like, "I'm gonna need to see." So how do guards deal with um, issues between inmates in prison? And they try not to. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's a shitty job. Yeah. What a shitty job. Okay, you know what I mean. What's the? I mean, what's the draw for people to have that job? Retirement, pension, retirement, pension. Benefits. Uh, you don't need whatever. to uh, be educated, I think. <laughs> I don't think you need to go to college to uh-huh. get that job. You might need to now. Things are changing. I remember, you know, Rick Ross was like a security guard. So weird, right? Yeah. But a lot of people become COs to, officer, okay. to be connected with their people from the streets. I, I knew about, I, I knew a couple. How, so how much dirty shit did you see then? A lot. A lot. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, but what, like people like bringing phones. stuff in their ass. Yeah, but the guards bring most of the stuff in. This is what it is. And they're, they're so overworked with the overtime. And it's like what really separates them from us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the mindset, too. If you're in there for 16 hours a day, you I mean, go think about it, just like to sleep. Being in a pressure cooker, man. I mean, there's criminals around you. Some of us, you know, the thing about, like, everybody gets incarcerated, too, not all bad people. People just get caught up in certain situations. Yeah, you get greedy, potentially. Mm-hmm. If you, potentially, if somebody gets greedy and, like, the whatever, finance yeah. or stuff like that, stealing. See, I was, ne- and I, I was never in a max. I was always in, like, minimums and security, do stuff you ever like get, that. Do you ever get sent out to that prison where uh, Michael Cohen and the situation were at? What's it? The Oni something with an O. Otisville? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otisville. That apparently to... is like a, a country club, right? There's two sides of Otisville, I believe. Okay. I believe there's a feds, and I believe there there's also a max there. It might be cadre. I'm not sure. Well, I had heard that that one's like a cakewalk. Apparently. Part of it is. Okay. Part of it is. Part of it is not. Um, there's even 
I think downstate is like that too. Downstate is intake for the whole New York, and then the other half is like cadre. Like, um, but yeah, I, I knew I knew some people that did some serious time in Otisville. I also been to Otisville twice for Scared Straight. They brought us up there when you were younger. You were on that reality show? No, no, no. So what? Scared Straight a program? Scared Straight a program? But yeah, it's just like that show. It didn't work for me though. I did it twice. So I was like, I can handle this shit. <laughs> and you could. I mean, yeah, the last time I was incarcerated, I... Were you that guy in jail, though? Like, everyone knew you? You were tight with everyone? Uh, I used to make people laugh. That was my thing. Is that where it started? I was like, yeah, I would, like, hold court. And, and I would make him, like, do impressions of the CEOs and... Oh, damn, And dude. shit like that, yeah. That just sounds like such a good reality show, man. Following you around. Assuming that other people around you wouldn't get jealous... You know, in like a reality TV setting, that seems like such a good reality show. Yeah. Following you around. I mean, the activities that you're doing are limited. Yeah. But just, I think, seeing the life and day-to-day process of, of an inmate, somebody who really is comfortable in jail, I don't think we've really seen that. You know, you see all these shows. You see 48 hours in. You see 60 days in. Not 48 hours in. You see 60 days in where people, you ever see this show? See, yeah, I've watched that on Netflix. Um, yeah, but it just looks terrifying. You know, it, you just that's prepare how it is. for that. Yeah. That's how it is. The guy's fighting off on the side. Yeah, that's Can how you it. prepare for jail in any way? Like, if you if you were to tell me right now, I'm about to do a year bit, what would you do to prepare me? I mean, you'd get used to it just like anything else. Only thing for you I'd be afraid of is people trying to extort you to get, like, them to have somebody on the outside put money on their books and shit like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you seem like you're in good physical shape. Like, yeah, you'd yeah, be able yeah, to yeah, protect bro. yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd fuck somebody up. Yeah. Yeah, you might have to fight. You might not. Right. You know, it depends on who you, who you get around. Yeah. Around. And also, I mean. Even in, in, in minimums and in, in mediums, dudes are going to try to test you. Sometimes. So were you um, kind of not trying to make as many friends in there? Or you didn't really care. You weren't really. Like, what were they telling you? What were the CEOs telling you or people before you got into prison? I mean, I guess you did it. Only of one bids. person ever said anything to me. Uh, in terms of safety? When I was going to juvie, I remember they brought me from court to juvie, and then this lady was standing out in front of the facility, and then she was like, uncuff him, and the cops uncuffed me, and she was like, all right, come with me, and we were walking down this long hallway, and she was like, she just looks over at me, and I'm like 13 years old, she goes, do you know how to take care of yourself? And I was like, I don't understand what you mean, she's like, oh, the boys here know how to take very good care of themselves, you'll you'll find out what I mean, and she meant like... You know, like physically, can you handle yourself? Well, what are if you, you said no? Able to live here. I feel like that's a rhetorical question. How are you supposed to answer that question? I had no idea what she meant. Yeah, yeah, no idea. All right, man. So let's I talk about out. that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> let's talk about the transfer to comedy, though, bro. Right? Because that's how that's how we um, initially met. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. You have a podcast out the gate, on the gate, on the gate. Excuse me, with Gio Perez. Gio Perez. So you and Gio met how? I mean, Gio met through comedy. I was running an illegal show. <laughs> <laughs> There's like gambling downstairs. Yeah. You mean like during COVID? Illegal yeah, show? yeah. Okay, okay. Invite only. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and we, uh, I only, so it would only be the comics on the lineup and then the people I invited. Because like, I have like a, a little bit of a network. Um, and uh, somehow Gio got in one day. I think Jared brought him, Jared Schwartz. Jared Schwartz. Yeah, and we hit it off immediately. You and Gio? And once he was like, yo, I'm, I've been locked up too. And then we started talking and he did a few years over in Long Island. And uh, 
and uh, we just we just clicked. Actually. And and when was this? This was about a year and a half ago. About a, yeah, a little over a year ago. A nice. A year ago, yeah. All right. Well, I I thought you guys would have known each other for a very long time. That's so. what everybody thinks. Nice. But we've been rolling hard, hard for the last year. And then when, when we get one of us gets booked, they always book us together. <laughs> was yeah. that, is it like pain? I, saw, it's, I like I saw you guys were you guys doing a um, a roast battle. We did a roast. We we were booked. Wait, why on is it a pain in the ass? Well, that's together. hilarious, dude. Because it's our material is not the same, but mm-hmm. we talk about a lot of the same shit. Yeah, because how often are two guys who you know did a lot of time together on the same show? Yeah, we got like ten years incarcerated <laughs> between the two of us. You know what I mean? And uh, but yeah, we we, ro- we roasted each other this week in New York Comedy Club. That was so much. How fun. was that? Wait, wh- when was that? That was recently. That was on Thursday or Thursday. something, right? Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah, that was a good time. Uh, Nico White told us that he hasn't heard that place that loud since they used to have black roasts there, which it's is like to hear one hell of a compliment. Yeah, That's for sure. Because black guys are great at roasting. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, we did that show, and then we were booked on two shows together yesterday, and I think we were on another one together too. Nice man. Week. Yeah. Nice. So when did you guys start Twenty Three and One uh, Comedy? At this, this is going to be stand. our seventh one. Okay. So this is our seventh show. We've sold out the first six. I hope wow. We sell out this one. That's great. We're moving picks. Pretty good. That's right great, now. man. Yeah, it's super fun to do that. Do you guys ever get stressed out about it? How do you kind of run the I show? I get very stressed out. Do about you it. like what? You book three comics. He books three, or, or how does it work? Oh, uh, we yeah we 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 never really put a number on it. We we get like we try to find like um, we try to get like a comic that has like been doing it for years and then build a show around them. That's what okay. We try to do. It's like you know, we had Big J on this one. We've uh, on this one, and then we had. Last month was actually crazy. We had Soder, Ari, Maddie Smith, Ian Lara. Yeah. That was a, that was a good show. Um, and then as we're releasing this, it is... Uh, uh, Next Tuesday. Mm, yes. It when is, does this come out? Well, this is... Today, it is March 14th. And tomorrow is March 15th. The Ted Jones Comedy Show, Tuesday, March 15th, <laughs> 7 p.m. at the stand. No, but your... And then your show is the... 15th. 15th also? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have a 10 p.m. show. Yep. Okay, dope. Oh, so so there, the you, same day. there you freaking go. Tomorrow night, you guys better come to the stand. It's going to be amazing. You'll see Derek and myself just stay there the entire night, stay all right? The, yeah, stay amazing. Drinks and food. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, what were you saying? So you just kind of put it together however you guys feel, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we had, so I had, Gio had a show, I had a show, and then we basically combined forces. And uh, it's been, it's been great. The thing about the stand is that, like, I mean, the guy that's on their their um, the silhouette, Mike 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 DeStefano. Uh, DeStefano, yes. So like he he was he was a big heroin guy too. Yeah, he was he was on drugs. He's been incarcerated. He was a criminal. Like, Ten years, he, yeah. He uh, he was like he's like an inspiration to me. And I always loved Love the stand even before I started comedy. I used to to go there, and then um the one on Nineteenth uh, Street. You had that one. Is that yeah. what you're referring to? Okay. And the way I got into comedy Fair was enough. about about four years ago. I, um, like once I started working for Combody, like Koss gave me a job. He saw me speak at this event. Koss, the, the owner. Koss, the owner. He saw me. He's like, hey, I want you to be part of the team. Let me bring in. We just started this thing. We only hire formerly incarcerated individuals. Come on in. I became a trainer there. I, you know, I got certified in, um, as a fitness instructor. And, uh, I started to meet different kinds of people that I'd never interacted with before in my life, you know? People from like a different world, and uh, I was like, "Oh, this is like not everybody's like robbing people and selling drugs." Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? I was like, "There's yeah. like you know, 
And I was like, oh, yeah. and these people aren't all nerds. Like, these people are, like, cool. Like, so I used to think, like, oh, if you're like that, you're like a square. You know what I mean? And um, I had, like, made some friends. And then I got invited to a picnic one day. And Ashley Hesseltine was there. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea who she was. She was just super cool. And we were chatting it up. She's great, yeah. Talking about her life, my life, and everybody that was there. We're just having a good conversation. And hung out with her again. I went to go watch a football game. She was there. And she's like, hey, would you want to do my podcast? I was like, yeah, sure. And I had no idea what a podcast wow, was. That's hilarious. When, when was this? It's about four years ago. Oh, wow. About four years ago. Okay. And, uh, I'd always been a big fan of comedy. Loved comedy. Even when I was younger, before things got bad in my life, like, you know, I just remember watching, like, the specials on, like, HBO. Like, John Leguizamo had a couple one-man shows, and and my father was a fan of Pryor and Eddie Murphy and, and you know, Def Comedy Jam and Living Color. Like, uh, I loved all of that stuff. And, um, and then I went on her podcast, and I talked about, I was talking about my life and, like, this transformation I had made, you know what I mean? And, um... I was like, damn, I, I, you know. And then she was a comic. I went to a few of her shows. I'm like, I want to try this. And started writing so wait, how did you meet her? Like, who gave you the introduction to My her? My friend Alexis was and, friends with, with Ashley. And Alexis is a comic? No. No. They're just two, two people who so met the dog you getting So you getting into comedy, a little bit of um, a little bit of kiss of fate. Almost, yeah. Almost, because you were super interested, and then you kind of got the podcast and then saw the whole vision. Mm-hmm. Nice, man. Yeah. And so I had a good time doing that podcast. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Con Body. Right. So that's what you are doing for the most part during the day when you're not doing comedy at night. No. So Con Body, I don't teach there as much as I used to. I teach three days a week. I teach uh, Tuesday night, Friday morning, and Saturday morning because I also I have another job as a drug counselor. Um, but Con Body, the thing I love the most about Con Body is I didn't have to, like, pretend to not be who I was like uh, getting those like getting hired by by black vets and and then getting hired by combody was like too big like I needed that in my life like I need somebody who wanted to give me a chance you know what I mean and Koss pursued me after he saw me speak at that that event and then uh, you know when I was at black vets they, I remember they told me like uh, looking forward to working with you and I, I I guess that's like a normal thing that's said but that meant so much to me when I heard that and then I was able to grow so much as a human working at combody because it just put me in contact with so many different kinds of people from like outside of the this world I was living in for so long which was you know I was surrounding myself with people who are mostly institutionalized and not all of them were trying to change you know what I mean and then I just you know Start meeting people like, you know, you meet like doctors and finance people and people who do this and, you know, just a different world. And and nobody cared that I had been incarcerated before yeah. or that I was a recovering heroin addict. Yeah, it just makes for a good story. Yeah. So what do you when do you think um, your life started to blossom in terms of moving towards comedy and doing shit that you actually want to do in, in con body and stuff that you're doing these days? About four years ago, about four years ago, um, comedy. I, was, I did comedy all wrong, like, my first year and a half. How do you mean? I was doing, like, one mic a week and one bringer a month. You know, I wasn't really into the mic scene. I wasn't really networking well. I knew a few people. But, like, and then, you know, the pandemic happened, and I did some Zoom stuff. And then once the outdoor mics started happening, I was like, I'm already, like, been doing this thing for two years. But, like, now I'm realizing, like, I can get up 
30, 40 times a week if I wanted to. Damn. And I just, and that's the outlook I took. And then I just started getting with some other like-minded comics. Like, Gio has a similar past to me. I hang out with Leo a lot. Leo has a very, you know, was a similar past. Used to be in a gang. He's not Leo Kofresti. Okay. He'll see. And then Adam Hamada is another guy I hang out with a lot. Like, there's people that are just like, we're, we're doing mics. If we're not booked, we're trying to get guest spots on shows. Like, we're just, we're, we're out there. How much time do you feel like you'd be comfortable with doing on stage? I just did 20 on the road. Dope. Where were you? Uh, Plano, Texas at the House wow, of Wow, nice. Up for the great Sergio Chacon. Oh, dude, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. So you went down there and you were just there for the weekend? No, one night. We did a one-nighter. Oh, in wow. And out. What was he in uh, Texas and other places? Or was just fly down there? And no, we went down to do like... Plano, uh, wow. That's yeah, fun. Yeah, House of Comedy in a strip mall. They were very nice, though. Shout out House of Comedy. Let's Plano. go. Yeah. Um, it was a benefit. Benefit show. He was doing like, uh, so it was like him. It was all Mara hosted, and then a couple that a couple other guesties. I did twenty, and then they brought Sergio up to play. So you, you were, were you um, featuring then? Not yeah, like I opening. Featured. All right, yeah, man. Featured, excuse okay. me. Okay. Oh, Oh, opening. So opening is like 10 to 15 minutes. Like Hannah Burner, when I was in Miami, yeah. I hosted and opened the show. I did like around 10 minutes. That's usually like the opener, okay. I feel like. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, featured for Surge. Nice, dude. All right, 20 minutes is a good amount of time. Yeah, it was 18, actually. Okay. They, it was supposed to be 25, yeah. and then they cut me seven because I had to give somebody <laughs> else a spot. So is the trajectory for you just trying to get close to an hour and then see what you can do with that? Or, or what is the, what is the next a, year? I want to have a rock in 15. That's what I want to have right now. I want to get a rock in 15, start getting in these clubs in the next few years. I'm 40 years old, you know. I'm not a young buck anymore. I'm young in comedy, old in life. But uh, I want to start making a dent by the time I'm 45, you know. Like, I'll give myself some time. Comedy is not easy. It's very hard. Did two shows last night, bombed the first one, did great on the second one. Where did you do those shows? Because I see you're getting a lot more spots since the last time, or since I started following you, which is in the last few months. Yeah, Crown Heights was the first one. My buddies put a show on, packed. They packed it out. Love that. Just did not do my job. (laughs) And then uh, the second show was at Revision Lounge, another very good show, which was very much more my crowd. It, uh... They were down to hear everything, so I was like, "Oh, this is love that. This is good. Yeah, we talk about everything here." The first first show was just tight. They were tight. Gio went up before me. He and he had them. He got them really good at the end. And then I was like, "Well, let me try to ride this wave," and I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff that just I'm not going to be delusional with myself and be like, "Oh, fuck the crowd." Like I think if I start picking up habits like that now, it'll be bad. I just want to put the onus on me. Yeah, dude. I feel like for the most part, you kind of got to black out the crowd, right? You know, just do what you, I mean, do what you're comfortable doing. And yes, you have to listen to the crowd, you know, in general. But I mean, do your A stuff. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, go back to the drawing board, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know I was muttering to myself on the way home last night. And somebody I saw knew, they're like, you all right? <laughs> like, where are you coming from? I was like, oh, I just did a couple shows. Like, oh, how'd it go? And I was like, oh, first one horrible, second one good. Uh-huh. I was like, and they were like, well, why did it go horrible? And I was like, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. Yeah, I did um, a spot last night. Great lineup, but they were like, I don't know, dude, probably 12 people at V Spot last uh-huh. night. And the crowd was great, but yeah. it's just like, I try not to let that go to my head in terms of, yeah, I freaking killed, you know, yeah. but then if I 
you know, were to bomb in a place like that. I feel like it's just keeping the keeping your mindset the same. Do you find yourself getting more nervous before other people's shows rather than twenty three and one? No, no. Like if I get nervous, it has nothing to do with the show. It just happens. Um, when do you find yourself getting nervous more so though? I don't. I might have like nervous energy before, but I can't wait to get on stage. Yeah, I can't fucking wait. Once we got that main room show at the stand, dude, I was fucking salivating. Yeah. I was ready to fucking do my goddamn thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had, I had a good time. How do you guys run the show? You and Gio do some time up top? We do a little banter up top, let people know what, what they're in for. Because we always, we're getting like newer people to come to the show now. And, you know, we always like to remind everybody that it's a show that's curated by two ex-cons. Yeah. And some people are always like, oh. <laughs> they couldn't tell by yeah. the twenty three and one yeah, title. Like, oh, I thought it was twenty three and <laughs> I me. I thought it was Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah you know? <laughs> twenty three and me. Yeah, I, and I, it's a DNA show. I like to see those reactions. I'm like, relax. You know what I mean? Like, comedy changed our lives because yeah. there was a there was a time like right before I really started comedy where I was like, maybe I should get back into crime. Well, I mean, how much joke. money were? You? Was, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, how much money were you making on the streets, dude? <laughs> but yeah, the um. I, I love comedy. I love the, uh, I love doing it, like hanging with my friends and doing it too. Like it's just, just a, I met so many good people and I just love, you know, challenging myself. And I, you know, I, I got to continue to be involved in something that, that keeps my mind open. Cause I, I wouldn't get to where I am today, just in life general. Even if you take comedy out of the mix, two jobs in my own apartment, you know, being responsible, not doing drugs, if I didn't have an open mind. If I was ever like, oh, I figured recovery out, I figured how to not do heroin, I'm heading down the wrong path. Because you never figure it all out. It changes constantly. So talking about going on stage, how is that feeling kind of similar to the euphoric feeling of drugs? Because I, I can Listen, talk about man, it a little bit too. There ain't nothing better than heroin. I just want to <laughs> let that be known right now. It's not, it is not the same. It's so different. But it's... It does release the same chemicals, obviously. And it is a great feeling being on stage, especially when things are going well. Lonely place when it's going bad. Yeah. But it's a new day every yeah. every day with comedy. Recreational. You get to recreate. Right. So what are your words of words of wisdom, words of advice? Anybody trying to get in shape, anybody trying to shape up their life, what do you got to tell them, Derek? Uh, anybody trying to get their life back together, you know, whether it's through you know, drugs or a depression or you lost somebody, you know, because I've, I've dealt with all that before recovery and even in recovery, like my brother just passed in August oh, from, from heroin. That, no, really? Um, so you guys used to do it together? We did. We did do drugs together. And uh, I'm very sad that I'll never get to, you know, speak to him here. You know, I don't know what wait, awaits on the other side or if there's anything. I have no idea. Um, but, I, you know, I, I cherish the time I got to spend with him. And, you know, I'm also very lucky myself that the last time I overdosed that I did not pass away because it was just the luck of the draw. You know, they had to give me two shots in Narcan. And the second one might have not worked, but it, it did, you know. And I just want to let everybody know that even as horrible as you feel about yourself and the shame that may have come with your addiction or whatever it is that you, you've done, you deserve to live a good life. A lot of people feel like don't, they don't deserve it. I used to feel like I didn't deserve it. You you deserve that life. And if you make that choice that you you want a better life, you'll find your people. And then just stay with your people. And uh, 
things will will be great. Life still is very tough sometimes. It's hard enough as it is without heroin mm-hmm. and incarceration and bad relationships and all that stuff. But you could do it. If I if I can do it, I'm, you know, people can, anybody can, seriously. I know that sounds cliche, that, but. But you really mean that? You feel that way? I mean it. I mean it. We all deserve happiness. Every single one of us. Cool. All right, man. Derek Tresher. Th- guys, thank you so much. Derek, uh, why don't you plug your um, Instagram and uh, shows really quick? You can follow me uh, at Derek Tresher, D-E-R-E-K-D-R-E-S-C-H-E-R, and you can listen to uh, On The Gate Podcast. Yes. On, it's on YouTube. We're going to put it on all platforms soon. Follow that at, at On The Gate Podcast. Follow 23 and one Comedy so you can uh, get the, uh, the info on when the next show is. That's 23-A-N-D-1-Comedy. And... Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Derek, thank you so much, guys. Peace.